Janie and I were traveling last week. Uh, I had a nephew, a great, great, good young man get married. And um, so we went to the wedding up in Omaha where we then were able to celebrate Janie's mom's 83rd birthday and her one year cancer free. And so uh, that was just an amazing uh, blessing there. So it's always good to see family. Uh, watch the, the, sh- the program, the, the service online. So we give a shout out to our media team, our worship team, and our teaching team. God bless you. Great job to all of them. Come on, give it up for them, guys. You can, you can do that. Praise God. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful uh, day. What a wonderful time of year. I love uh, the mornings where it's cool out. I love it when it's a nice warm afternoon, cools again in the evening. Uh, it reminds me of the Midwest. This is like a true Midwestern fall day. And uh, it helps the leaves change color. It kind of gives us focus for the fall. And uh, I have a message today that I believe if you let it sink in your heart, if you let it sink in your spirit, it will not only be life-changing for you, it'll be life-changing for generations to come after you. And I want you to know this, legacy is something that you leave behind, okay? But heritage is something that you plant in someone. You plant in them an inheritance. And so when you make a godly inheritance into somebody, you're, you're putting that in them, okay? You can leave a good legacy, you can leave a bad legacy, but you, you can intentionally put an inheritance in somebody's hand. When you put in a spiritual inheritance in somebody, there's value there, okay? And you can do something as easy as speak that into somebody. We'll talk about that today, just declaring the power of God over your children, over your children's children, over their children, over your life. And maybe you've been in a situation where nobody's spoken it over you. You can speak. David encouraged himself in the Lord when all his mighty men were against him. You can do that yourself. You might have to just say, hey, Mark, you got to step it up, man. You need, you need to grow in faith. You need to start acting like what you preach or what you believe. Sometimes you got to speak to yourself. You're not crazy. Just don't do it at the Burger King. Find a prayer closet somewhere and do it. Do it when you're mowing grass. Do it when you're taking a bath. But you might need to speak to yourself and encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen? All right, so we got the first part of this service. There's a lot of heavy meat. Janie and I have been on the, uh, the keto diet since early March, and I don't like the word diet because of the first three letters. Die. I don't like to die, but at the same time, sometimes we don't like to serve Christ because we're meant to die out to self, right? But on the keto diet, there's two things that you can really do. Now they finally made keto-friendly ice cream that actually tastes like ice cream. And I love ice cream. I, I have a bowl of ice cream every night before I go to bed. Every night. There's not a night that bad. If I don't have ice cream, Janie asks, what's wrong? Who are you mad at? Are you sick? Do I need to take you to the emergency room? How come you not have an ice cream? I'm just not ready yet. I'm going to have it here in a little bit. And meat, you can eat a lot of meat on the keto diet, right? I mean, there's, I love meat. I'm a meat eater. I, I love, uh, in the Midwest, we eat a lot of meat and potatoes. I don't really love potatoes. I could go the rest of my life without having any potatoes at all, but I love meat. I just, I love steak. I love ham. I love roast. I love chicken. I love, I love meat. And so we can eat a lot of meat on the keto. Well, today's message is keto-friendly. It's, you got the carb-free ice cream, which tastes good, so you're going to have a little dessert at the end, and then you have meat along the way. That being said, you may want to take some notes. If you're note-takers, if you're, uh, or you may want to go back and watch this another time or two so that you grasp it, because this will be, again, life-changing, not only for you, but if, as the Lord tarries, for your sons and daughters, and their sons and daughters, and their sons and daughters, and their, and their sons and sons' daughters, daughters, whatever it is. And by the way, those of you who have have changed sitting locations, you need to all move back the next week because you're, you're messing me up. I, I look for certain people, and when you're dancing around different parts of the church, it just, I'm a really OCD organized guy. You got to go back to where you normally sit, please. If you're online watching, I don't care where you're sitting as long as you're, you're watching. It doesn't matter. You could be out back. It, I'm okay. I don't know where you're sitting. These people, I need to know where they're sitting because I look for certain faces. Mark, the fourth chapter, Jesus tells a story, and he's a parable, and he teaches a couple of parables, and this one's about a sower, so you know going in, the sower is Jesus. 
The seed is his word, okay? So that's important to know. There's a sower and a seed. Let's go to Mark uh, 4, verse 1. We're going to read nine verses. Again, he began, Jesus, to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he, said to, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, bless your word. We thank you for it. We know it's blessed. We know it's anointed. Use us as vessels. Open our hearts to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. So we, we see what Jesus says here. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's about the soil and the seed falling on different parts of soil. Again, Jesus is the sower in this particular parable. The seed is his word and how it lands. We're that potential fertile ground. This is how things go in seed time and harvest. Genesis, the 8th chapter, 22nd verse, after Mo, uh, Noah landed on the ark and the ground was dry, he got out. God made a covenant with him. It was the rainbow, but he said as long as when Winter and summer, heat and cold, day and night, seed time and harvest will exist as long as this earth does. So there's something about seed time and harvest. Seed time is promised in, first, uh, in Genesis, the first chapter, the 29th verse. You can look it up. And so you are a part of seed, but it falls on these different grounds. It falls on this different area. We'll go through these different areas so that we can understand that when someone's not acting like maybe we think they should or someone's not contributing like maybe we think they should or somebody's not being who we think they should be, Maybe there's seed in there that we need to rescue, but you have the power of seed. You have the power of God's word in your life that if you cultivate that seed, you can be a giant in the kingdom of God. Amen? This is important to know because sometimes we want things from God, but I want to tell you this, that God wants things from us. God needs things from us. This thing becomes every piece of fruit that you will ever eat will have some form of seed in it. It's seed-bearing fruit. And when that seed-bearing fruit which is given to us is a metaphor that we then need to be the seed-bearing fruit. If you're a Christ follower today, you are fruit of somebody's ministry, somebody's prayer, some parents who live godly lives before you, or you're the fruit of someone just praying for the harvest to come in, but you're fruit now. Now, because your fruit, you need to be seed, and that seed will come out of the out of the fruit, right? So that seed then goes back into the ground. Now, hear me. I'm I can't think of any fruit where the seed looks like the fruit. Every seed, look at a little tiny apple seed. It doesn't look like the apple, does it? A peach doesn't look, a peach seed doesn't look like the, the peach. The fruit, uh, the seed of the fruit doesn't look like the fruit. So whether you're saying things in your life and you want the fruit to come out of it, we have to be careful what we say, what we call into existence, the power of death and life are in the tongue. When we start declaring things, stop declaring your kids are idiots or they will be. Stop declaring your, your spouses are no good or they will be, okay? Stop declaring that your job is horrible, especially if six months ago you said you were thanking God that he gave you the job. <laughs> right? Come on, somebody say, come on, preach. This is true, and so we, we have to be careful. If you want things to change in your life, you need to start calling those things that aren't as though they are. You need to start speaking those things out. Now, this isn't a name and a claim and a blab and a grab it. This is seed time and harvest if you allow the seed. So the seed falls on four four places, and the first one is the pathway. It falls on a path, and then and we see now here birds come, and this is the fall time of the year. A lot of people are aerating their yards. They're seeding their yards, and when you seed your yard, if that yard, if the seed doesn't get in the yard quick enough, a bird might come by and eat it because you just gave him a, a buffet. 
And they're going to feed, they're going to eat off that. Okay, and, oh, the birds are in the yards. Well, birds in most cases in Scripture are lovely things and they're, and they're spiritual things and they're dynamic things. But in this particular case, the bird is a reflection of the enemy. Satan does not want you to have the seed, the word of God in your spirit. He'll do everything in your power. You determine this year, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to read my three chapters a day. And along comes March. And then before you know it, September, October, and you're on Genesis, the third chapter. It's like, what, what happened? <laughs> I got, now I've got to really do a, a grind to, to get through it. The enemy will take that. He, the last thing the enemy wants you to get in your spirit is God's word. Why? Because it's life-giving. It's fulfillment. It's love. Well, these birds came and they stole it away. Now, what can we learn from it? The seed didn't get a chance to germinate. This is the importance then of a small group, a Bible study, community, church, getting together with one another so that we can feed off of each other's spirit. Worship is so powerful when we're able to engage in worship together. Amen? When we're able to see, when the worship team's up here and they're not cheerleading, they're leading us into the throner of grace so that we can Praise God, no matter if we're down and out or up and in. We can say, God, thank you so much because your worship might be freeing up the person that stands next to you. Might be freeing up the person that's standing across from you. Might be freeing up a person who can't come to church and is watching online saying, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This worship worship is incredible. It's not incredible because they're talented, because they are multi-talented. It's incredible because the heart of worship is in this place. It's incredible because the heart of worship says, I've got to get God. And that creates a germination of the word. Why? Because it breaks up the fallow ground. It's the, it's the shear plow that goes before. It breaks it so that the word of God can be taught and preached. If we came in and just taught the word of God, most of you wouldn't come. And it's not because it's the word's bad. It's not because the preaching's bad, usually, sometimes. But at least y'all didn't say amen. You'll laugh, but you didn't say, hey, amen, Pastor, shout me down on that one. It's because the worship isn't here, and the worship in- introduces the presence of the Lord. And so listen, if somebody's not where you need, they think they need to be, maybe it's because their, their seed hasn't germinated just yet, right? We have to allow community. And listen, this is why grace people, listen, we take anybody and everybody just the way they are. We are a church for all people. Why? Here's the one agenda we have. Let's just all chase God together. How's that sound, okay? If we try to change people, then what we're doing is we're doing the work of the Pharisees. Well, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And Jesus said himself, judge not lest you be judged. Well, do you want Jesus up there saying, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy? No. I want to be the guy that says, Lord, at least we tried. As a church, we tried. At least we we involved people. We included people. Now, here's the deal. If someone comes in and says, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do it. If you're not chasing Jesus, then we're going to have a private sit down. Me and Batu are going to get you in a corner and say, hey, maybe this ain't the church for you. We have to have an agenda, one, that we're for all people. Two, all people have to chase Jesus. Amen? And then allow Jesus to change us from the inside out. Yeah, give it up for the Lord. It's okay to clap. You can clap. That allows the germination to take place. Number two, then that seed fell on rocky soil, okay? And the the rocky soil is this. It starts to grow, but then the sun scorches. In other words, a person starts to grow in the Lord, but they get a little trouble. They get a little persecution. They have some uh, joy for a moment, but then misery sets in. It's like, oh, yeah, this is is just how I knew this would be this. I knew church was full of hypocrites. I knew they'd let me down. I, I can't trust religion. No, you can't trust any of that, but you need to be able to trust God. God is different than church. God is different than religion. God is different than hypocritical people. We're probably all hypocritical at some point in time. We all want it our way. We have to die out daily. And some people will say, well, I tried God. Okay, that's good. But God is not something you try. God is something that you incorporate in your life. And you can live a lifestyle that's holy, pleasing, and dedicated to the Lord. And that sounds very religious. How can I do this? You just start. Just day one. read Read a verse. 
Read a proverb. Read a psalm. Read something that's life-giving, okay? Just spend a little bit of time in God's Word. Spend a little bit of time where God wants you, okay? So, so I, Jane and I had a, a cabin uh, in central Missouri on Lake of the Ozarks, a beautiful area, about four hours away from where we pastored. And it was just a, a break zone, and we'd get away once a month. We'd spend a couple days, maybe two or three, four days. And when we first bought the place, it was a beautiful little A-frame and needed a little bit of work. So we're, we're moving some stuff in. And I borrowed one of our uh, church vans that where he pastored and it had the name right on the side of the van. And I pulled it in and we were getting to work, moving some stuff in, painting some things. And, and outside of our, actually our front door, there was a privacy fence, probably 10 or 15 feet or so. It was about six feet high. And Janie and I, we, we, we were, it was one, two in the morning. We finally crashed for the night. And I get up the next morning. And for some reason, I believe it was a cool morning. I don't remember when we closed on the place. It was a cooler morning. I walk out and I, I'm looking at the, the fence. I'm going to get something out of the van. I'm looking at the six foot fence and there's a pair of eyes looking over at me. And uh, it kind of freaked me out at first. I got to be honest with you. Like, whoa, and the, the, the guy, he didn't, he didn't really talk. He kind of grunted. He said, hey. I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, uh, you new here? Uh, yep, I am. That, that your van? I, I thought maybe we parked on his property. I said, yeah. Am I, am I parked wrong? Or is he? he said, no. So that, are you go to that church? I said, yeah. yeah I actually pastored that church. And, and, and I said, because he opened the door. I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, no, I tried God one time. And that was kind of the end of conversation. I tried God one time. And, and then he went on to, he had obviously tried a lot of things in his life, if you, if you know what I mean. I, I'm not going to go into specifics, but he had tried a many number of things, and, and God was one of them. And so I went back in, and I shared with Janie the conversation, and, and uh, his name was Doug. He, I, I got his name out of him. It's Doug. And I told him my name is Mark. Wife's name is Janie. And, uh, you know, we were happy to, to be neighbors. And he didn't say anything. He just turned and walked away and went back in his house. And come to find out from some of the local residents down there, Doug was kind of a recluse. He really didn't like anybody, and nobody liked Doug. He, he just was, he was to himself. He liked it that way. Whenever he would leave somewhere for the day, when he did leave, he would go and nobody knew where he was going. Then he would come back. And, and so we got our place situated and we would go down there and visit. And while we would go down there and visit, when we would make some meals, of whatever reason, we would cook a lot down there uh, just because we had a, I, when I say we, <laughs> it's not like we. It's like we would cook a lot down there. And so uh, <laughs> that was pretty good though, wasn't it? We would we cook. I, I would share in the eating. Janie would make us some meals, and when she started making an extra plate, and I'm like, who's that for? She said, you're going to take that to Doug. I did not want to take it to Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Doug had a dog, and half the time, Doug wasn't dressed. So when I knocked on the door, I didn't know what I was getting. I hoped the dog would answer. Usually Doug would answer, and I had to give him a plate like this with my eyes. And so the first time I went over, I did not want to. We actually argued about it. You made it. You take it. <laughs> she said, I made it. You take it. I said, Man, honey, I don't want to take the plate to Doug. Take the plate to Doug. So I went out, went over, knocked on the door. The dog's barking. Somebody's grunting inside. And then all of a sudden the door opens. I said, hey, uh, Doug, I'm Mark, remember? We live next door. Yeah. I said, my, my wife made you a, a plate of food. Here you, here you go. <clears throat> Took it. That was it. It left in. So after we would go down there about once a month, every time we would cook something, if it was steak, Janie would buy an extra steak. If it was roast beef, she would buy it big enough for, for Doug. We had Thanksgiving dinner down there one time with the family. She had me take over pie and Thanksgiving and stuffing and all these kind of things. I took over every time we were down there and Doug was home. I took him an extra plate at dinner time. Janie, I'm assuming, thought that a way to the man's heart is through his belly. He tried Doug, but he was eating my wife. He tried God, but he was eating my wife's food left and right. And we prayed over that, and we got to the point where we started praying over the meal, and we were, we were going to take, Lord, would you just you know, bless Doug? 
Well, about two years into this four-year cabin stay or when we would visit, uh, I got up one cold morning, and it's cold in the Midwest. You all know that. Some of you are from Michigan where it's even colder. And I'd start the Jeep and let it run. Let it. You warm up. You warm your car up. Where, where it's cold, you have to warm your car up. You don't know that here. It doesn't get cold here. But you all put, you know, scarves on your dogs and blankets on your horses. And it's like, what is that about? Well, we, we started the car, and I accidentally locked my keys in the car. It's like, oh. have you ever done that? It's, it's the worst feeling in the world. It is the worst. It's such an empty feeling. And I'm not good with screwdrivers, let alone wire hangers. So I go in the house, get a wire hanger like I know what I'm doing, and I'm kind of fishing around. And Doug apparently was looking out his door. Maybe he was waiting for food that morning or something. I'm not sure. And finally, after about 15 minutes of him uh, watching me make a fool of myself, he comes out and says, hey, what's wrong? And I said, well, I, I locked my keys in my car. I, I, just, I never do that. I, just, I don't do that stupid stuff. And uh, I did that day. And he said, you want me to help you? I said, well, can you? He said, well, I used to be a locksmith. I can get into anything. Which totally bothered me because he knew when we weren't at the cabin. <laughs> he, he, he can get into anything. No. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> but I needed his help. So, yeah, please, would you help us? 20 seconds later, he had the car unlocked. And I, I said, Doug, can I pay you? Uh, he, you know, would it cost me probably $75 or $100 to call somebody out from the local town, whatever? He said, no, just keep your wife's grub coming. And... <laughs> I, I, Janie's a great cook. I've never described her food as grub, uh, but it meant a lot to Doug. And so as, you know, over the next two years, we kept the grub coming. And if it was steak, again, roast beef, chicken, whatever it was, I would take a plate over to Doug. And, and he was never really cordial, and he was never totally dressed. He just would open the door, and I'd hand it through him, and he'd, you know, sometimes he'd grunt, thank you. And we stayed two more years off and on down there, and, and at the end of our four years of ownership from pastoring in Iowa, we knew we were selling the, the cabin because we were moving down here. We had a for sale sign in the yard. And uh, so we were down there uh, sorting some stuff out, picking some things up. And Doug uh, happened to see us in the yard, and he said, hey, you guys moving? And uh, we said, yeah, we took a church in North Carolina. We're excited, blah, blah, blah. And, and so he didn't say much. Uh, you could see maybe he was touched a little bit. And Janie said, Doug, I got a question for you. You said four years ago when we uh, got this place as a part-time residence that you had tried God. I needed to know where your relationship is with Jesus. And he said, you know, I, I tried God. He said, but I saw Jesus in you. And two years ago, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, you... You need to get that. You need to get that in your spirit because there's many people that you pass in life and they're looking at you. They're watching you. They're studying you. And they don't know what Jesus looks like because they're not reading the word. But the seed of Christ that's in you needs to come out of you. And if it comes out of you, other people will say, I need what that person has. But if you're miserable, if you hate life, if you're just completely against everything and everybody, who wants to be like that? They want to be like someone who's full of joy, who's full of life, who's full of give. So, yes, Doug, and two years after we moved down here, we got word that Doug had gotten cancer and he died. But trust me on this, I know he's on the other side. He made a commitment, he professed that commitment, and he loved Jesus Christ. It was so cool on how a chicken dinner, a steak dinner, a roast beef dinner, or whatever kind of dinner that I begrudgingly took over there for years changed his life because he tried God, but what he really did was probably try a church who didn't accept him for who he was. He probably re- really tried some people who wouldn't accept him because they looked, he, he thought he was a little bit different, and shame on me for probably thinking the same thing, but because he got a warm plate of food every time we were down there that we took over, he saw Christ in somebody. You have to allow yourself to be the vessel that God wants to use so that people can see Christ in you. If they see Christ in you, they'll want to be like you. In order to be like you, they've got to receive Christ in themselves. Amen? 
the third, the third ground then is the thorny ground. It, it, it choked up. It, it choked up. And so here's, this is the ground that, where worries come in. I love God. I want to serve him, but I can't give up this, the, these things in my life. I, I love God. I want, to, I want to believe everything for him, but I'm anxious or I don't have peace. And all of a sudden, these things choke us up and, and we die. Why? Because Peter said, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Every single bit of what God has, he wants you to give him so that he can live it through you. Every time we decide, I'm going to worry about this, I'm going to take this pressure, I'm going to take this stress, then we're saying, God, I've got this, and God won't, will let you have it, but he would rather take it, amen? And so the thorny ground is this ground that's not meant for you. It's not meant for you. In fact, if you find yourself on thorny ground, you need to do what we did the first part of the service. You need to praise God until you get a breakthrough. You need to praise God until something just takes, takes place in you and you just worship. Even if you're a worshiper of one, you need to worship. Even if you can't sing, then just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Be like me. I can't sing a lick, but man, I love to shout. I love to praise God. I love to stand out in my yard, look at the stars and say, God, you're so beautiful. Oh, God, you're, you're a wonderful creator. Thank you for the things you've given us. Thank you for our church, our community, our city. Thank you for the ministry you've allowed us to do. You have to be careful that you allow, don't allow the worries of the world to grab a hold of you because it will strangle you. And all of a sudden, then you're no good to the kingdom. And number four, it fell on good ground faithful ground. That's the seed. That's you today. That's you coming out. That's you watching online. That's you, that's you that, are, that are saying, listen, God, I just want to be used of you. Look, however it looks like, whatever, whatever this means, whatever this looks like. And I'm an example. I'm a living example that God can use anybody. He took, he took a, a young Catholic boy, gave his heart to the Lord, and he made a preacher out of him after 20 years. And it's and just uh, someone who's introverted and doesn't really even like to talk to people. God, God can do it for me. He can do it for you. Not, maybe not everybody here is a pastor of church, but you might have a neighbor, family member, or friend who just needs to see your seed and need to see what's growing inside of you. I'm going to give you seven things really quickly on how to, how to protect your seed. And then I'll tell you one quick story as we end. Listen, there's a seed in you. When you became a Christ follower, there's a seed in you. Chances are there was even a seed in you before you became a Christ follower. Became, becoming a Christ follower started to activate that seed. So number one, you need to understand your destiny. You need to understand that every person here has a destiny, and it's a good destiny. It's a fruitful destiny. It's a destiny of good and not evil, of no harm, one that makes you a victorious warrior. Number two, you need to have a vision. There's probably a dream within you or a vision that God has planted in there. Now, make sure it's God's dream. Make sure it's God's vision, but have a vision. Write it down. Make a plan to see. Number three, you need to pray, believe, and receive out of Mark, the 11th chapter. When we pray for things, then we need to believe that God's going to see them through, and then we receive them. You absolutely need to say, I receive that. You heard this before about my wife. If she's talking to somebody and they don't, and they're saying negative things, especially if they're saying negative things about me or about her or about our church, she'll say in her spirit, I don't receive that. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's going to come to pass. You have to negate those things that are negative in your life so that you can believe the things that are positive that God says about you. You need to recognize that God is for you and not against you. Amen? He is on your side. He loves you. Number four, you need to protect your gift. You need to protect. That gift would be your testimony. You need to protect that. Listen, young people, don't put yourself in a place where you're going to mess up your gift. Don't put yourself in a place where you're, you're, you bargain your gift away or your testimony away. Uh, older people like myself, you need to make sure that your gift is being used for the kingdom of God and that you share that gift for generation to generation to generation. Number five, have a plan in your life. That's the same thing as vision. Number six, place the right people around you. The scripture of the day, even in uh, the, uh, the you version Bible, I think yesterday or maybe this morning was, listen, if you want success, you need to hang around successful people. If you want misery, just go ahead and hang around miserable people. We need to make sure that the people that are around us, you are the average of the five people that you hang around the most. If they're gossipers, that's what you become. If they're bitter, that's what you become. If they're sarcastic, that's what you become. Misery loves company. But listen, if they're spirit-filled, that's what you become. If they're high on 
in life, that's what you become. If they're Christ followers, that's what you become. If they love Jesus, that's what you become. You need to place the right people around you. Number uh, seven, the last one, be persistent. Never, ever, ever give up. No matter what it determines, no matter what it looks like, do not ever give up. Let me tell you a story about Moses in Exodus, the third chapter, verses seven and eight. You know it well. God says, I am come down. I'm going to take you up, bring you out into a land. And the Bible says, one translation says, to a good, a good and plentiful land. So I brought a box of good and plenty today. Isn't that cool? That's the land. That's what God had. No, I got to use Fato wants it. Afterwards, I give it to you. A good, listen, God has put a promise in your life. Hear me. He's put seed in your life. Maybe, maybe it's a, a thought. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's something you just full well know. Maybe it's been a plan of your life the whole time, but he's placed something there. So he placed it in Moses, and he said, Moses, I'm going to give you a good, a good and plentiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that's going to be good. It's going to be ripe. And so then a couple chapters later, Numbers, the 13th chapter, Moses sends Joshua and Caleb out to spy the land with 10 other spies. And, and the 10 spies come back and say, man, those guys are like giants. We're like ants to them. There's no way we can take that land. And Joshua and Caleb are like, man, the grapes are this big. They're the size of watermelons. It, take, it took two men just to carry one. Well, this, this land is huge. This land, God has given this land. We can take it. And Moses listened to the seed offering of the other 10 who aborted the promise of God. And they didn't see the land. They didn't go into the land. That whole generation died out. But Joshua and Caleb, they hung on to it. They were persistent through it all. So for 39 more years, they walked in the wilderness knowing that they could take a land full of milk and honey, full of goodness, full of good and plenty. And we have to recognize in our life that no matter how long it takes, you have to be persistent. You have to stay the course. You have to make sure. You have to keep praying for that, that lost child. You have to keep praying for that good job. You have to keep praying for that promotion. You have to keep praying for your community. You have to keep praying for people in Sunny Valley. You have to keep praying that God will move in America again. You have to be persistent. Moses was a good, good man, but he believed the ten he shouldn't have. Joshua and Caleb. Now let's go to, so we're Exodus, the third chapter, and then we're um, Numbers, the 13th chapter. Now we're in Joshua, the first chapter. And the Bible says, now my servant Moses is dead. The seed has died, but the promise had. In fact, the seed has to die in order for the promise to move forward. Sometimes you got to kill self in your life, or sometimes you got to do away with people in your life that keep speaking negative so that you can hear the real seed, the real word of God in your life. There's nothing, that, there's nothing worse than something that just complains and spikes, speaks down. It's not going to work out. It's not going to happen. It's two enemies fighting here, evil against good. You have to, again, surround yourself with people who are going to speak life into your situation. You can do it. You can do it. The word that Janie got in the first part of the year, God's got this. Do you think he's worried about the coronavirus? Do you think he's worried about layoffs? Do you think he's worried about an election? Do you think he's worried about anything? No, why? Because God's got this. God's got it. You've got to be persistent. You have to stay ahead of the game. You have to understand that, no, if God's got this, I'm, I'm okay. It's going to be all right. Yes, I have to do my work. I do not want to abort the promise that God's given me. Joshua and Caleb and Joshua 1, Joshua says, God tells him, hey, wherever you walk, wherever you're willing to do battle, Barak. The word tread there means Barak, wherever I'm willing to do battle. You're willing to pray for your kids. You're willing to pray for your family. You're willing to declare things over them. You're willing to pray for your job. You're willing to pray for your community. You're willing to declare things over them. God takes notice. God knows that. He takes notice about it. If you're just going to let bygones be bygones, it's too much trouble. It's going to cost too much. There's too much worry there. We can't do that. Then God moves on to somebody else that exercises their faith, that exercises that seed within them. That's Joshua. Now Joshua 14, they fought in battles. They'd taken down Jericho. They recouped their goods at Ai. They, 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 beat, they, hung, they killed five kings in, in Joshua 10 where the sun stood still. Joshua commanded the sun to stand still. Oh, pastor, that's a metaphor. I don't believe it. Not in my Bible, not in my mind. 
Joshua spoke of that son stood still. He beat five armies. You know who the five kings were? They were the king of depression. They were the king of anxiety. They were the king of, of things in your life that needed, to be, that needed to be defeated. Joshua 14, Caleb comes around and he says, listen, Joshua, and I'm paraphrasing. Joshua, see that mountain right there? It's Mount Hebron. Forty and five years ago, God gave me that mountain. You were here. Moses said I could have it. Joshua, you hear me? I'm 85 years now, but I'm as strong as I ever have been. I want that mountain. Joshua says, go get it. You have to know the persistence of a Joshua and a Caleb. You want to surround yourself with Joshua and Caleb's in your life. You want to get people in your life that are like, no, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. We're going to get this thing done. We're going to make sure it works. We're going to fight till we can fight. Well, Joshua or Caleb takes that mountain. He, you know what I think he's doing? I think he's taking that good and plenty box, probably not made candy at that time, but he's shaking because the Bible says you need to stir the gifts within you. You need to stir the promise within you. You need to stir the talent within you. You need to stir the anointing within you. You need to stir the person that's in you where the enemy says, the enemy says you can't, you need to stand up and say, yes, I can in Jesus' name. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. If God be for me, there's not a devil in hell that can be against me. Who can be against me? Nobody. I'm shaking the good and plenty. I think Caleb is shaking the good and plenty, and he takes that mountain. Now, it doesn't stop there. Listen, the seed started in Exodus 3. Let me walk you through this for a moment. The seed started in Exodus 3. It goes to Numbers 13 with the spies. Only two of them came back because 10 aborted the mission. And then it goes to Joshua 1, and God speaks it again. You can have everything in that land wherever you're willing to do battle. Joshua 14, most of those battles have been fought. They hung 10 kings. They killed the bad guys. You got to kill the negative thoughts in your mind. You got to kill the negative thoughts in your heart. You got to kill the negative attitude in your in your room. When you when people walk in your house, if they're starting to be gossipy and sarcastic, just ask them to leave. Just say, "I'm sorry, I, I can't have that here." And this this happy thoughts. This this is a good thought place. They'll think you're crazy at first, and then they won't come back after that. So you just have to deal with it one time, right? Joshua took, or Caleb took Mount Hebron. Hear that. 400 years later, there were 400 years in Egypt. And then 400 years later, there's a man named David, King David, who the second Samuel, the second chapter, gets anointed by the elders on Mount Hebron. Now hear me. That seed that was planted by God in Moses lasted through Joshua and Caleb 400 more years. It lasted into David, and he became the king of kings in, in, in that time. He became the king of Hebron, the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem, and he was anointed by the elders. And 1 Timothy, Paul says, and the seed of David, the seed of David became Christ the Lord, God with us, Emmanuel. Now hear me, when we recognize that when we start to pray, I'm not just praying, and maybe because of my age, I'm not just praying for my kids anymore. I pray for my kids, but now I pray for my grandchildren, and then I pray for their children who they're not even born yet, and I pray for their children's children, and I pray for the people in their life. Why? Because I'm not this seed. I want the seed of Christ to be in me, the fruit to come out of me. I want it to be reseeding for years and years down the road. Why is that in important because you leave a legacy, but you give a heritage. Now hear me on that. If that heritage is scriptural, if that heritage is biblical, if that heritage is, is, is godly, if that heritage is Christ, if that heritage is, is God in us, then we recognize and know within ourselves that there's fruit coming out of us. See, we, we see all the time, okay? We see the fruit of people a successful business, a successful marriage, a successful ministry, a successful people financially. We don't know the hard work behind the scenes because we just see the fruit. But when you say, I got seed, and that seed is in me, that seed's part of me, what you gonna do with it? Are you gonna speak it into your kids? Are you gonna speak it into your loved ones? Are you gonna speak it into your community? Are you going to speak it into a prayer walk? Are you going to speak it into a nation? Are you going to speak it into other situations? If you'll start to speak it into scenarios, they'll start to speak it into things. God will give you fruit upon fruit upon fruit upon fruit. Stand with me this morning right where you're at. 
And if you're comfortable doing so, just raise your hands for a moment. Just like, hey, I'm surrendering God. And that seed within you. Jesus said, unless we die daily and pick up our cross daily and follow him daily, it's a daily occurrence. Lord, I got to die. That seed's got to die. The embryo of the seed, the embryo eats the seed for nutrition until the roots can take place, until a trunk, a stem, a base can happen. So right now, you may be new to this, but you're allowing that seed. What is the seed? The Word of God in us, that Word of God. We need to eat on the Word. We need to eat on His truth. We need to eat on His, on his blessings. We need to eat on the things in our life. We start to eat on God's goodness and God's graces, and all of a sudden, fruit comes out of us from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Father, I pray right now for those hands that are raised, the people that are in this place, the people that are watching online. I speak right now, Father. Let them call those things that aren't as though they are. Father, Lord, I pray you use them. I pray, Lord, that seed would start to germinate within them. They would start to take root within them. Lord, it would start to rise up the seed being the Word of God. Lord, that they are more than conquerors. They are joint heirs. Lord, now let them call to their children. Let them call to their children's children. Let them call to their children's children's children, Father. I pray, Lord, right now we would speak an anointing. We would speak a declaration of victory, oh God, of joy and happiness and not depression and anxiety. Lord, of peace and prosperity, Lord, and not poverty, Lord, and illness. I pray, Father, Lord, right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would declare every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights from above, Lord, over not only us, but our seed and our seed seed. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. Now declare this song right now. Declare it in Jesus' name over your family. God bless you.
an area and blowing a shofar. It may look a little crazy, but we're sowing a seed and we're declaring that the enemy has no place. We're just putting a little barack on it. We're putting a little shout on it. And we're shaking our praise today, knowing that you are good and you have everything under control. And we bless you and we love you. We say go with each and every person. Give them an awesome week. Let us glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name. <laughs>